Welcome, Denny Van here, Heartfelt Awakening Podcast. We are all about aligning body, breath, and spirit. And today's show I'm so excited about because we get to get a rare peek into no moly stones. No moly stones. Hey, Ben, did I say that right? No moly stones. No moly stones. No moly, yes. Yes. Um, and Dogon, Dogon. And Numoli sacred stones, these stones coming from West Africa, and I personally are, I love stones. I believe that they are sentient beings, and how Ben and I got connected is beyond miraculous. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself and how, well, I want to get into deeper, how you came across these stones. Well, you know, the, I know you only have an hour, so uh, really my part in this is that I'm a collector. And many years ago I had a connection who had rare access deep inside the West African bush. And through that connection, uh, because I've always been interested in the mystical and spiritual matters and healing, and stones, as you said, have always intrigued me, as have artifacts and rare finds. Uh, treasures, if you will. I uh, collected them for many years and anticipated that other people had collected them too. But uh, when we did an outreach through my son, the Q Man, we found that there was no knowledge of them in the present contemporaneous world, including healers and psychics and those who would uh, have interest. These are shama- uh, shaman stones. And they're healing stones, and they are traced back to the Nomoli deities, which, as you mentioned, are we have recently identified a connection between the Nomoli deities and the Dogon uh, tribe. And they're, of course, well known for their discovery of the Sirius B long before science, and, and also a very interesting tribe. The interesting, one of the interesting things about them, they've maintained uh, separation over the years. They were able to avoid a lot of interference from outside world, which is why they're, they provide such a great picture into the past uh, societies and culture and knowledge of these things. But the Nomali stones are very interesting because, as I mentioned uh, before the show started, we were talking about my son had done an outreach. We're, we're, I'll move, jump ahead a quick here. We are working on a book with a, a friend of mine, and, and in the process, we did an outreach on the internet, and to in front of hundreds of thousands. If any of your viewers have heard the name in the last year, that would probably be in passing. And we asked for response from those who could provide any information about the stones that we might know, and particularly we were looking for those who would have reactivated them and be using them in their healing and other uses uh, that the stones were originally designed for and empowered with. The results were quite amazing to me. Again, when I collected them over the years, I anticipated many people would be collecting such a thing. I came, to, We came to find not one person in any of these groups. Now, we targeted your ancient alien enthusiasts, your ancient civilization people, your psychics, the healers, stone whisperers and stone enthusiasts, the very 
groups that you would anticipate. In fact, I went to a gem show and set up a booth and put the stones out there. And over three days where there were thousands of people who came to that gem show and 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 intense knowledge of all different stones about. They could tell you how they vibrate, what they could be used for, et cetera, which is a great knowledge we've seen over the last 40 years. Right, and these stones, yeah, hang on one second. Are you there? Yes. Okay, so these stones are dated to be, um, it looks like between 2,500 years to approximately 15,000 years B.C. So these stones have been around and dated to be quite old. And it says that they're controversial stones. So can you talk a little bit about what this controversy is regarding the stones? Well, the dating uh, has been, you know, academia would say that there haven't been civilizations that were advanced in those areas for a long, for very long. So they would have dated it, yes, within a thousand or so. But there are those who, well, the ones that were found in the blue skystone were dated approximately to 15,000 BC, yes, so 17,000, 15 to 17,000 years old. They are, we have had stone whisperers, as I call them, read the stones, and some of them have, a tr- have felt that they were witnessing civilizations using the stones far beyond 15 to 17,000 years ago. And we should get into that a little later about the potential of the earlier civilizations before the Dogon and the connection to the Egyptian again. But, yes, the controversy, as I was saying, it's interesting because the stones are unknown to the the, the very awakened and the aficionados of these areas. But they're not unknown. They are on exhibit at museums in New York and, and in England and across the United States. A couple of others have them around the world. They have been collected by British royalty. They are... In fact, they were so, at one point in time, so desirable that many, what you will find now, are most of the ones available are replicas or even fakes that were produced to fake the market. As far as the controversy, I think you mean probably the suppression of the stones and why people don't know about them. And, well, let me just elaborate that a little further. They were first published in 1857, no, 1854, as I recall. There was more publication of them in the early 1900s. In fact, uh, we identified, discovered that Thor Heyerdahl, you uh, know Thor Heyerdahl from the Kontiki? Okay. Are you familiar with the Kontiki? Uh uh-uh. uh, no, I'm not. Oh, the Kontiki was in 1947. This gentleman, Thor Heyerdahl, said that the, what he proved eventually is that, that the Peruvians were the first to settle Polynesia 5,000 miles away. And he was laughed at because everyone knew that the Asians had settled Polynesia. He was drummed out of National Geographic magazine and called a crackpot. But he sailed off on a Cypress log raft with five, I think, other individuals, four or five other men. And 101 days later, they landed in Polynesia, proving that people could traverse long distances and that the ancients, as he said, saw the the waters as highways, not barriers. Anyway, Thor Heyerdahl led the first expedition to the Easter Island. And in 19, 
1957, I believe that was, he, put, he published that the Nomoli stones were the most similar stones from West Africa to the small stones, which you probably never, you've never heard of, that were found in caves in very small quantities in Easter Island, in secret caves. Um, one of the things he identified was that they had holes in their head, as one over here I could show you does. Where yeah, so that so wouldn't that wouldn't really be a controversy because even ancient aliens shows the similarities between like structures that are in Egypt and structures that are in Peru and those areas and even in China. So definitely there's going to be some of that going on and the the in 1854 you said that it was a suppression of the stones. Was this political or was this something along the lines of hiding the power of these stones, perhaps? Oh, I'm, I, uh, was, I didn't speak clearly then. Yeah, 1854 was the first publication of them. The suppression of the stones, first of all, uh, Africa in and of itself, there is sometimes a, uh, a darkness attributed to it, which is kind of silly, but by those who don't understand, it's not unusual as they attribute darkness to things they don't understand. So there isn't the enthusiasm, but on these stones in particular, I could name a couple of the most prevalent. Most prevalent is religious suppression. There are other people who, in, in various religions, who do not take kindly to stones or to what they would call tribal rituals, and particularly the Muslimization of West Africa and sometimes the fundamental Christianization of certain pockets by uh, missionaries would have certainly poo-pooed uh, these stones and put yes, negative and energy. Exactly. And the reason I learned um, Christians and Muslims, um, they believe that we've only been here for 6,000 years. So anything that shows that it's dated more than that is suppressed because they have to hold that belief that, hey, we've only been here 6,000 years. And that's what I was told from religious leaders from both sides. Very fascinating how that oppression is even carried on today, where it's shown that even the pyramids uh, show water erosion as if they were underwater, which would mean the pyramids are more than 10,000 years old, and that information is being suppressed. So, yes, a lot of information, including what's going on with these stones, Religious suppression is is huge. So this is this is probably one of the biggest reasons I want to talk about this because I this needs to come to light how how powerful and sacred these stones are and also showing we've been around for a long time. Yes. Yes, and and I I would say that there are representatives of Christians and Muslim groups who seem to be very intolerant of, of any beliefs that are different than theirs. I wouldn't paint the picture. I'm sure there are many Christians who are open to other people's beliefs more than than we would be aware of. But uh, I know that, yes, especially the the more fundamental and the ones who are out staking out ground in places like the West African jungle are going to be the ones that are a little more eccentric than the norm, perhaps. And they would find something like this and not only not tolerate it, they would destroy them on the spot. And... Now, there are others also, of course, in West Africa. There isn't that great of a separation between church and state. So if you are, let me give you an example. If you live in Lancaster County, where I'm from, in Pennsylvania, 
you become a Republican if you want to be successful in business because that's how the county is. Now, whether you're a Democrat or not, you become a Republican. And uh, I'm not along with that. I'm a libertarian. But the point is that when you're in West Africa, if you want to be successful in business, if you want to be successful in politics and in other areas, you become a Muslim. And now I've met many or some at least who practiced Muslim in West Africa, but when they came to America, they were, uh, you know, drinking vodka and, uh, and smoking cigarettes. So, you know, sometimes that is only a uh, to do in, when in Rome, do as the Romans. But that does play a part. Now, where there's a bigger part, too, that's unusual in this area, and I compare this, if I could relate it to the Native American artifacts, which now there's a great understanding of the value of those. People are seeking them. They're using them. They go to powwows. I know I've been going to powwows since I was in the 1970s driving, and I saw a sign that said powwow, and I said, what is that? <laughs> Went to my first yes. powwow. But yes, and I've thing. had experience with that. I've been invited to um, in nippy ceremonies, and within the ceremonies, the stones that they use – um, and they put in the fire and use for the healing within the sweat lodge or a nippy. They call them grandfathers, and they're very powerful healers. Go ahead. Have you definitely yes, experienced that? I've only done one sweat or so, but that was quite an experience a long time ago. And so what you have in, in America is a resurgence and an understanding and a reevaluation of not only the Native American artifacts, but of their traditions and of the value of how they perceived gods. And now there is, of course, an interest in their understanding of the ancient beings that came from the stars. And so that's now becoming very interesting. And But in West Africa, it is not this way. In West Africa, there is a very strong desire to not be seen as primitive. They need to be seen as civilized. And unfortunately, some primitive things have value, and they're washing them all aside. And I mean, you look at it from every way, from medical, the medical society and scientific community do not want them practicing ancient religious practices to heal with stones, obviously. So every way you can look at it, these have been suppressed over the many years. Um, and, the, the, yeah, so it's, and I agree with you, it's very important that we think about these things. Where do they come from? How long have we been here? And not be restricted by any particular uh, dogmas. And, or, so they, they are known, they're, they're unknown, but they're known. What's still unknown about them really how old they are. Uh, I should, I guess, give a little description of what they are. These are stones carved, they're stones carved figurines and they represent the Nomoli gods. The Nomoli gods were said to have been angels who resided in heaven, but uh, they were mischievous, misbehaved, and were banished and pushed down, forced to live on the earth with mankind long ago. And Interesting that, correlation with a Bible story, huh? It's a, a, interesting in many regards. <laughs> and it's interesting when you get to the remind me to point that out when we get to the Amman, if I forget you. And uh, so the Nomali stones were are carved. Now, who carved the stones and where they originated? Nobody knows this. And why? 
Well, why doesn't anybody know? This is very unusual. But most of the stones were dug up in random places in the jungle, unlike others you would see in the world that would be buried in temples or in burial sites. These are randomly buried in the jungle of West Africa. They're found in diamond mining. They're found in farming. They're found in settling areas. Um, they're buried in different depths and in various strata. They have been first, like wife should mentioned, it was actually the 1400s when they were first seen by the outside world by Portuguese sailors, but they have been dug up long by the natives who have repurposed them. The natives would say that these stones were given to them by the Nomoli gods, and the their belief is that these Nomoli gods were beings who came down to help when they once they were here, they helped humans. They helped them learn how to better live together, how to better uh, prosper, succeed, and things which were important to focus on. And, and some of these, if you will, moralistic views or perspective or, uh, points are visual or can be seen in the stones themselves, the carvings. So they've been dug up. No one again would say that they, their grandfather carve these stones. Now, when they have been buried, no one knows why for sure, but there are a couple of theories. One is the natives have said that they are buried as intermediaries between the spirits uh, in the heavens, their ancestors, and themselves. So if you will, a medium or a, a uh, point in which the energy is focused from these and then enters into the human realm and into these and affects their lives in a positive manner. The, you know, it's uh, so interesting. You talk about they're randomly buried and um, how I work with stones and how a lot of people that I know work with stones is we might um, create a barrier and bury some crystals and give the crystals an intention or a job to do to form a barrier, a protective energetic barrier. So that's one of the things that came up and how they were buried at different levels. Um, they may have had a very specific job to do. And, you know, you talked a little bit about how the Nomoli believe that these were beings who came down as angels to help. They have the same story that many uh, cultures, including the Bible, has talks about these angels coming to earth and how some of them were kicked out of heaven and are on the earth. So there must have been something that happened around that on a global level where all of these things happened. But the fact that they were buried in certain areas really made me think they had a job to do and they were given a task. And so when you work with crystals, a lot of us mystics or whatever, you know, you do this energy work, you'll have a crystal or a stone and you'll give it an intention and you'll cleanse it if the intention is to take, take on any negative energy that's directed toward me or what have you. And you regularly cleanse this stone and you actually develop like a relationship with these stones. That's how powerful these beings are. So I really loved how, how they have been discovered 
in areas in so many different ways. Because who knows, 10,000 years from now, it's like, why is uh, amethyst buried at this level in this in this way and they'll find that kind of stuff on my property right, right. you know because this is how I use the stones and and so we we really haven't changed that much over time in creating things and giving it an intention to use as an energetic in-between you talked about it was in between the worlds so talk a little bit more about um oh and i also wanted to let you know today uh somebody who's catholic and wanting to sell their home isn't there like a a statue that they bury upside down so, you know, imagine years from now finding that and wondering, you know, why was this thing? So in discovering this, we still use this process today, and we're discovering how it's it's there. It's been there all the time. We sell very many of those little statues of St. Joseph. You're absolutely right. So somebody's still, even though they might not be right on tune with the stones, they still have beliefs which are in line at some point. So, yes, they, and I should mention where exactly they're from. They're from Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia only uh, is where the stones have been uncovered. And as you mentioned, it was a very good point. That it seems as though, well, it doesn't seem as though, they, each one has been created for a specific purpose. Some, they fall into various classifications, but you can um, see some of them are very obvious. It would be for fertility Others would be chief's stones, which are designed to use in the in, in skin mid installation of a new chief into this, uh, this position of uh, um, on the throne. There are others which are for protection of mothers when they're in child, whatever, children. And there are others which are for a uh, purpose is to ward off evil spirits, specifically. Some would be used by individuals and others would be used by an entire village. There are some few which have been passed down through, through uh, austerity, or through, rather through antiquity, and have uh, not been buried, that were used by the chiefs and would have been passed along when, it, uh, there was a, when one kingdom was overthrown by another. It would be one of the treasures which would be captured and then reactivated into the new chief's hands. Interesting. And, you know, the I took a look. Um, if you're listening either now or later, take a look at our guest's um, page, and we have several photos there as well that you can take a look at. And when you said protection of child, um, one of the ones that I was looking at, I, I sat with it for a little bit, and it felt like a fr- fertility protection and fertility abundance, you know, give me fertility abundance is, is what it really felt like and very powerful stones and definitely take a look at some of those photos of the stones. Now I do, I hope you're going to get into um, the museum that you curate and house these stones in as well and talk about that. Yes, I'm, uh, no, I'm not the curator. Actually, that's uh, Professor Kwaku Aforianza is the curator. He's the individual I'm working on with the book, and he was the professor of African art 
at Howard University in Washington, D.C. for 37 years, born and raised in Ghana, absolute genius and world-class expert in art. Um, but yes, we did, when I came out and started to look for other people who had collections and find out what was out there in the world, I came to find, through Professor Kwakua Foyanza and Mrs. Legon, who's the director of the African Art Museum of Maryland, a wonderful woman, I came to find that these were actually very rare, the authentic, and that the collection was quite um, a high interest. They had a high interest in the collection, and they, before we broke it up and put them into hands of healers around the world, we thought it was a good idea to let them be shown at one point, at one space. And so they did a an opening ceremony for the exhibit. It was quite quite exciting. And we had the the show of the Nomoli. I don't know if there have been a show with that quantity and quality of Nomoli in the United States at any particular museum. I think there has been some point in time, but um, I don't know of any. And um, so, yeah, we put them in the museum, and the re response was, was fantastic. People were very excited. There were those who came in and just felt like they couldn't take their eyes off the stones. One particular stone would as has been the experience, an individual stone will often find an individual. Some stones are somewhat universal, where if you hand them to four or five people who are healers and psychics and sensitives, they will all get something similar even, often, from the stones. But others are very much specific to individuals, and you can, almost, well, you can see it and feel it when they put them in their hands. All of a sudden, there's this zap and in fact there's definitely cool. like an energy download sometimes when I'm holding one of those I'm I'm a little bit envious I definitely want to hold one of those you talked earlier a little bit about um, how there might be some fake ones out there or replicas how would you know the difference between those well it's very difficult to tell there are many that are pretty obvious but there have been some which have been crafted specifically to fool the people, especially when you have individuals like the British royalty collecting them and when they're in museums, and, and they've sold many, quite a few at Sotheby's. So um, it's, it, it takes quite a bit of examination. But at the end of the day, uh, I would say that the um, really the most significant thing is when they get into the hands of someone who activates them and they activate that person. And then it has a profound effect on that individual's life. Or if they're a healer, it has a profound effect on the people they're healing on a daily basis. That really is the most significant thing. And some, I, I would say, are more empowered than others, I, I believe. More, Very cool. Uh, so uh, you say these stones, so basically if I find a stone like on eBay or Craigslist or something, I should probably suspect that it's a fake. Well, they're nice. They're still nice stones to have around. And, you know, you may bury it and get some energy out of it because there, there are some that are still now, you know, made by those deep in the bush and maybe practice with a little bit so but i would say the chances of getting a authentic 
Nomali stone from West Africa on eBay are are very slim. But you know, you know. On the other hand, I want to say this: there are likely people listening here or that are out there who might have Nomali because they are so unknown. They might have picked one up from someone who didn't know what it was, and so it's always entirely possible. But the only one I've found who is qualified to uh, to appraise him and authenticate him is uh, Professor Foyanza. You know, as far as my personal experience. Excellent. Yeah, keep keep that integrity of them. Yeah, definitely, because they, you know, we're finding them. There's definitely going to be some kind of triggered purpose, and in, in what it is they do, and um, being sacred, you know, and carrying this sacred energy from thousands of years ago. I mean, the energy's there. It's it's so wonderful. Is there anything else you would love to add about these stones? Because you've given me so much information about what ancient alien theorists have said and, you know, um, unsolved mysteries, yeah, you know, the myths and legends. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. we, we recently uncovered, well, I want to say everything we've found is really kind of a rediscovery. We've been stumbling along looking and, and and when we uncover and discover something, we then look back and we found, well, look, somebody said that years ago, but it just became obscured again somehow. And we recently identified the connection to the Dogon. And um, this came about on a podcast. I was on a podcast, and the host was asking me about the Dogon, and I said, well, I know just about what everybody else does from watching TV shows and and very interesting, but I don't, I'm not an expert. I told him, and and then someone logged and said that the Dogon were visited by the Nomos, fish-like beings. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But the Nomali are not fish-like, and there's no connection to fish-like. But when I looked it up further, the actual correct uh, statement would be that the Nomos were amphibious beings. Well, the Nomoli happened to have crocodiles often infused, and the the powers of the Nomoli gods were said to have been infused in the crocodile. They were revered because, uh, quote, they lived in the land and on the water. So that would be how they would, of course, call amphibious beings in, in those days. So I began to look a little further, and I you know, noted that the Dogon Empire was in Mali, and Mali is directly connected to the Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea areas. In fact, the Mali Empire, which um, was a very powerful empire, actually crossed into areas of the Guinea and into Sierra Leone and touched upon Liberia. Depending on which and do you know you about, um, yeah, the the maps, and you, do you know about, like, what time period that was? Yes. You found another Mali piece of Empire. the puzzle. That's wonderful. Yeah, the Mali Empire was, well, the, Dali, the Dogon have traced back to 3,200 years, I believe, or further. The Mali Empire, you're looking at, uh, was it 600 to, or 600 to 1,200, 1,300. 1235 would have been the height of the Mali Empire. B.C.? Yes, originally. Or 
A.D. A.D. Now, this is where it gets interesting again, because now we look at, is it possible that when that occurred and they were in those areas, that they then were the originators of the, or that they had both somehow originated with the idea of the Nomali. And then if you look, of course, if it would have been called the Nomos Mali, it would have over time easily be shortened to Nomali. Nomali have also been found as far as is it five or six hundred miles into the area of uh, Mali, and uh, well, six hundred miles found in the Dogon area of Mali, six hundred miles away, they've been found, and there was. That was mentioned in 1950 in, in a publication again. So you have the Dogon connection to the Nomos and the Nomoli. They, they, it's a great, great connection. Now, that, what this does is this is part of and parcel of the the, this, the investigation into this possibility. There are those academics and all different persuasion who are not quite sure that Egypt just popped up and had those pyramids and was the first place that ever happened. There are many who believe that thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of years ago, there were civilizations which predated Egypt and which had developed the higher technologies, the greater greater building skills, and the things which they then migrated to Egypt. So this is the interesting thing. The Egyptians and Dogon have been connected genetically. And naturally, because the previous concept, and this is back to this, unnat- uh, un- like, not an, uh, I'd call it an uh, unintentional consequence of the suppression, is that, uh, uh, one of the unintentional consequences, which is ends up being suppression, is the general concept that Egypt is the only enlightened place in Africa. In fact, many people see Egypt as not part of Africa, because how could it be enlightened when the rest of Africa, we've all been told for so long, has never been enlightened at all and never had any civilizations that knew anything. So there are those who are beginning to discuss whether an ancient civilization would have existed in West Africa. There are those who are of the belief that uh, the Atlantean culture could have been off of West Africa and could have had influence, and even or without that, that there was an ancient civilization in West Africa which predated Egypt. And so where we begin to look at is with these connections, and here's where this is interesting now. If you look at the creator god for the Dogon who created the Nomos twins, his name is Aman. Yeah. Aman. Now if you look at the uh, king of all gods for Egypt. His name is Aman. Now, if you look at them up in, if you look them up on the internet, you'll see both of them are nicknamed Amen. Interesting. So interesting. I love the so linguistics the, of it. Yeah, yeah. It just starts to work. You know, just Amen is the creator god, and as you said, it's a biblical. How's it all work around to that? Where the creator gods for all these beings that came from the stars is, in the end, the slang is, Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
Fascinating. So tell me, we have about 24 minutes left. I want, I would love for you to go into um, looking at what you sent. You sent me such wonderful information um, that the Sierra Leone, the New Guinea, Liberia, all of those places from Mali and all over around the world. And now you're starting to put like these puzzle pieces together and get more information about these stones. What's the next step for these stones? How are you going to, what do you need next from these stones to really get this information out there? Well, as I said, we've now distributed or, or exhibited them at the museum, and now we're looking to steward them to the next owners. And I say owner tentatively because obviously the stones outlive us all. Too. Who really owns a stone? <laughs> uh, but anyways, the point is that we have now placed uh, one down in, with a healer in Florida for some time. We've placed some others with individuals. We've placed them with uh, scientists, uh, or professors rather, and uh, educators, and then we were going to follow how what what results they get in their lives and in their experiences and in their studies by activating the stones. And the podcast is an interesting thing, which I think is a great way to get the word out that the Nomali are there and get that power reactivated. I I think that all of these energies that God created for good, want to be utilized. They want to be activated. So we're going to be part of that, getting it out to the people who can't actually maybe own a stone, but they can still be part of it. And, and you know, there are many people who come from West Africa, and it's it's good to get the word out that they they didn't come from these, you know, primitive areas. In fact, I run into it even in college professors uh, where you'll try to engage them in these things and They'll be dressed in the garb and they'll play the music, but when it comes down to it, they don't want anything to do with the primitive tribal traditions. They don't want to be associated with them, and they want to continue to suppress them, which is interesting. How you could be an African professor, you know, of African women's studies or such, and then not be interested in African traditional matters, but that's the level that it's at because those are the people who have succeeded by not being associated with that and with being modern and and uh, unfortunately blind to the things of their ancestors, which are very valuable. So in the end, it's going to be a great byproduct that there could be many, many people who begin to have more interest in their ancestors and, and their ancestors' uh, deities and in these power stones that were left for all of us lives. And, you know, it got me thinking, um, I'm a Chicago girl, so uh, I know about the cultural diversity in Chicago and, and the melting pot that we are. And it made me think of the DuSable Museum of African American History. You know, they maybe we can hook you guys up and see if they might be able to do a showing of these stones and the culture because they're um, – 
African-American history. It's dedicated to the study and conservation of African-American history, culture, and art. But this ties it back to Africa and their history. So I don't know. This It made me start thinking, okay, how can we get these stones out there and these stones uh, discovered and stuff like that? It just got the yeah. wheels spinning about, wow, these stones really need to be shared. And um, those people who actually have one, um, I have stones from all over the world in, in my possession, nothing along the lines of a Nomoli stone, but they, they carry with them such powerful energy. And to be able to have one in, within my energy realm right here uh, would be phenomenal, you know, to, to actually feel and touch and connect with that. I almost feel like even looking at the pictures of them that we have, that there's a strong connection to them. But I love what you're doing and, and getting some puzzle pieces by people who are listening to a podcast or reading about it and then finding out more information and gathering the mystery and the mystery of these stones is becoming clearer and clearer. So keep doing what you're doing. Well, you are obviously one of the ones that the stones has chosen to put the word out because of all the people out there in the world doing podcasts, you are, I'm certain the first one to ever have this information for your listeners, and um, I think far beyond. I, you know, it's a very rare group today who even is listening to your podcast and 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 being uh, uh, privileged to see something new and different and exciting, which is a, a discovery and if exciting to be part of it. I know that it, it is, and and uh, yes, so. I appreciate your part in in getting that word out and and yeah, just looking at them, we do have a video of the museum exhibit on ancientalienstones.com. It's uh, under museum exhibit, uh, Underhide Collection at the museum. And if you watch the video, you can see Professor uh, Foyanza and Mrs. Legon talk about the, this exhibit, and you'll see a video of quite a few of the stones and. Um, yes, they can have an impact, in in my opinion, any way that uh, it's not, well, let me put it this way, it's not limited to my opinion how they can have an impact. So, And I will put a link to that um, in the comments on the guest page so that you have access to that. Wonderful. And, you know, I'm all about aligning body, breath, and spirit. And when the body, mind, and spirit are in a line and you connect with something, it's, we are receivers and receivers of information, of, of energy. And when you connect with somebody and open yourself to receive this type of information, it's almost like some stones, you're able to get like a download of information. And knowing that all information is always there. All the information, it doesn't matter how old these stones are, it, the information energetically is still there. And then when we open ourselves up to receive, we receive downloads of information. And for me, for the longest time, I couldn't get to that point until I, get, I got my thoughts and my ideas and beliefs out of the way and I was able to just connect like I can see we can see each other in the podcast so we're able to see each other and I can see Ben you're holding one of them and I'm getting chills up my spine yes tell me about this one 
this is interesting. It's uh, we call this the chief of hearts, and um, yeah, this if you look at it, it's a, a figure sitting on a solid base, and anytime that is the case, it's a chief representing someone of high esteem, and this one you will see is very interesting because it has no head. It's short. I'm going to say it's about three and a half inches tall. Unlike any of the other ones, it's most of the weight is in the base. So it's a grounding piece, a calming grounding. But I, I got that it has no head to get out of your thoughts. So you hold the you hold Amazing. it and you're in the root of everything and you're totally out of your head. It's like boom, you're totally grounded and out of the swirliness of the mind thought, the thoughts that come. Wow, that's quite incredible, and I'll tell you why. Because the normal process of thought, even amongst the African art experts and those who know Nomali, is that it was re-dug, or dug up and repurposed. And one of the ways they repurpose them is they plant them in their fields. And if they don't have a good, well, they put them in an altar out in their fields or plant them. And then if they don't have a good crop, they're known to hit them with sticks and beat them up. So the first thought was that the head had been knocked off. But when I showed it to a stone whisperer, they made the obvious point that, no, there was no head on there because the head represents the ego and represents, as you said, the swirling thoughts as we represent that. And so it was eliminated because that's not what this thing is about. And specifically the word was the head would get in the way. So if you look at this, this is quite a masterpiece of art. Yeah, it doesn't look like it, does. it was made with a head that was cut off. It looks like it was made as is without a head. Yes, and the interesting, amazing thing about it is that if you'll see, the, it's leaning back just enough in the chair that and his solar plexus are protruded. And so that if you set this piece flat on a table, the highest piece of the artwork is the chest and the heart. So he is Sending is he's powerful through the heart, and so we call him the chief of hearts. He's a chief figure whose whole purpose is to spread love and, again, keep the head out of the way and ground it. Very Fascinating. Powerful. Yeah, I can feel it. I mean, it just sent chills up my spine, you know, because the body's like, ooh, <laughs> we're in the body, not the head. <laughs> the, head the head gets in the way so wild. much. But you realizing yeah. that it was the head not there is just quite incredible. You're obviously well in tune with these stones, and I visualize that there will come a time when you will have a stone in front of you. And you know, it's interesting you bring out, because you're describing it, that the solar plexus is kind of ballooned out, is, is the word kind of I thought of. Um, and I do breath work, sacred breath work, where we get into the body and we just get out of the head. We do this powerful breath work. And then on the exhale, we hold the breath. Sometimes I can hold my breath relaxed, not forced, for two minutes and 45 seconds. And while I'm in this state, I am not in my head at all. As a matter of fact, I feel like I have no head. However, my diaphragm is protruding out to create this internal space of energy. And I can feel it pop out beyond my skin. So when you were talking about the diaphragm and 
the solar plexus protruded, that's what it, it suddenly felt like that. It's like, wow, when I'm in that space where I'm completely relaxed, my body's relaxed, and I'm holding my breath beyond two minutes, Relax, not like turning blue and everything's tightening up, completely relaxed. I can feel this popping out where I protrude out from the solar plexus in the heart. Very fascinating. I, that, I mean, I got goosebumps yes. up and down my spine. Yes. That's pretty powerful. I would say they've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> Based on this stone, sounds like exactly what you're talking about with your meditation. Very cool. Whew. So very quickly, very I cool. talk about the the various occasions, uh, if you will. Again, Absolutely. No and then, again, if you're listening, take a look at our guests' page. There's a ton of photos, so take a look at them as you're listening because you may, you may find yourself connected to one of them, like I was just connected to one of them. I don't think we have a picture of that one, though, do we? Well, I'm going to have to check and see if you sent, because I don't remember seeing a headless one. Um, this was out. It was out on loan to somebody who was using it for healing, so it may not have been wow. in the photos. Very cool. Very powerful. And this is one of the ones that's relatively universal. If I set that in a in a place where there are a number of psychics, as I have before, um Pretty much everybody that'll hold it will get a pretty will get a, a powerful feeling, not a subtle feeling, but a very powerful feeling, and a reading from this from this stone. So the classifications, if you will, are there are the standard nomali who are always with the short squatty legs. This here. So he's holding up one of them. This is a female, and this is a fertility and a child protection and mother protection piece. You see she has a small child who's clinging to her back, and her arms are reached around behind, holding and supporting the child. And this would be a relatively classic Nomali image in that, again, it has the squatty legs. It has the... Uh, protruding eyes because their eyes were said to be so bright that you could not look into them. It would be as if you were looking into the sun. And they have a large nose and then they will have protruding lips. They were said to have voices so strong that when they spoke in one village you could hear it in the next village. Now did that mean it was a broadcast from one to the other, and they tell, and there's some other method. I do not know, but so that would be a standard nomali envisioning or uh, visualizing the gods uh, who came down and lived with the humans. Then you would have some of those that are more infused with human, and a small example of infusing with human is this one. This is a great piece, and. Um, because he has slightly longer legs, see? So this was the point where they were, not only would they pass on their messages to the humans, but they infused their powers into, specifically, and is not unlike other cultures around the world, into the chiefs. They communicated to the chiefs and powered them with the virtues that you would want a chief to have, bravery, wisdom, fairness, balance justice, prosperity, 
and uh, you know again the things that will help the community and the civilization prosper. So other and than also that, when you know, I see it face on, when you show it to me face on, we're, I actually can see these. We're talking to each other through video as well, so I can see these. And this is the one where um, the goddess is kind of like in a, a seated position with his knees brought into the chest. But when when I look at it face on, like the eyes are looking right at me, it looks very uh, amphibian-like. Well, and also if you turn the head to the side, as you see... You can see almost gills. uh, That's that's a crocodile crawling up his back. Oh, wow. He is infused with the reptilian spirit, the crocodile. I didn't see the crocodile. Oh, my gosh, that is so cool. There he is. There he is, falling up his back. And he's actually wearing the all but wearing the head of the crocodile as a hat. And obviously he would have all the the strength and the agility and the fierce and the look. Uh, ability of the crocodile. Very cool. Very powerful. It looks like a mohawk when you look at him from the front, but when you turn it to the sideways, yes, you can see it as a crocodile. He looks like a, an amphibian wearing a mohawk from the front, yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> and again, great art, amazing art. Then you'll have the ones which are humanistic and full humanistic um, that are like this here. Oh, obviously a, a woman, full-size legs, normal, relatively normal features to a normali and with a child who she is feeding. And so this would be something that would inspire and impress the society of how important it was to protect children and protect mothers and to nurture and feed children. And also, of course, it would have been a powerful, powerful stone. This size here is a bigger stone. It would be for the entire village, perhaps as a... Uh, a tool they would use and they would have on on a shrine in the center of the village to prosper and to have uh, uh, more healthy babies and healthy mothers. And she's got her hands in almost the yin and yang symbol. It's showing the cycle of life. She has her arms and her hands in almost that yin and yang showing this wonderful... Love it. Need peace. So we do have photos of these. Uh, it's the one with the woman holding a child, the one that is, takes on the humanistic characteristics. So we have characteristics off. of uh, short legs, long legs, humanistic. What else you got? We have five minutes. I'm going to go into two real quick ones. Uh, I'll show you the last one last. But anyway, let me show you. Uh, these here, I'm going to show you one or two examples. The ones that cross over and view, visualize or visually connected and uh, similar to those around the world which have been identified as connected to ancient alien visits. In other words, most predominantly they're going to have the elongated heads. Now this one here almost has what looks like a helmet on. And there's a couple with the similars. And you can see him with the elongated head. Yes, and they found actual skulls with the elongation of the back of the head without the sutures uh, normal to humans, very different type of sutures. So these beings may have actually existed on Earth. 
That's what I, I mean, yeah. So he's showing another one with the elongated head. Yes, and it's a female, looks like. So very few of these are I've ever found, but very powerful stones. Wow. And then so we do have these. Is, Take a look at them. We have some visuals for you. One more final one. This is a match to the one who, which has been utilized by the shaman, Jeff the Shaman in Florida. Great, great healer. Jeff the Shaman in Florida. <laughs> yeah, in uh, Bradenton. He's in the, lives in the, has, operates, operates under Jeff the Village Mystic in Bradenton, awesome. Florida. If you're ever down there. Look at this guy. Very undefined. You know, for me, the first impression that I got was elephant. An elephant yes, being. Yes, very undefined. They almost look like lava stone or an iron stone, or Jeff felt his might be a meteor stone. Pachyderm. Pachyderm. Very powerful healing stone. And then, of course, uh, we do have some. Now, these well, are showing us we do have photos of, right? You sent those photos to me? I believe so. I believe so. Okay, cool. Sure there were tons of them there. So. Take a look at them. You'll be able to see the different classifications in the photos there on our guest page. Look for the ones with short legs, the long legs, those that look humanistic, and those that look a little bit amphibian-like, crocodile-like. And then that one that really that you just showed me that really couldn't be identified, it felt very pachyderm to me. Heavy. So that one is not actually available now. I, I'm sure, Jeff, I would hold this as part of the triangle of the three of us. But nice. Beautiful stone to, to hold and to uh, to read. Very cool. Oh, my gosh. So, Ben, this hour has Thanks. flown by like I said it would, and I'm sure there's probably more information. You have come across any of these stones, definitely hit Ben up. We've got his information in the description. And also leave a comment on our guest page, and we'll be able to get you in touch with Ben right away. Because, you know, these stones are they're sacred, and um, I'm blessed and honored to be able to tell as many people about these stones and share this information so that we can get more of the puzzle pieces of you know, these stones and the story of these stones and the history of these stones. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for being with me today and listening to this rare peek into these Nomoli sacred stones. So blessings and listen in as we continue our transformational journeys to spirit stories. We have about 90 seconds left. And thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys have a wonderful day full of blessings, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, and blessings to you.